This is Body Talk, where we explore your inner universe. Hi, everybody. It is so great to be back here on Body Talk. Had a bit of a spring break, a little bit longer than I anticipated, but I had several trips and getting ready for another big trip this time to the European continent to do some research for my next book. But today, we're going to hear from two friends of mine, uh, Christopher Rudazakis and my pal Allison Slater from Australia. And they're going to fill us in on all the really great stuff that happened at the Fascia Winter School in Italy. And you want to stay tuned to the end of the show because I'm going to tell you how you can experience what they're going to talk about. And if fascia is your thing, if anatomy in particular is your deal, this is a show you don't want to miss. And while we're talking about anatomy, I want to give a word from our new sponsor, Anatomy Escapes. Anatomy Escapes dissection lab experiences are made for body workers, massage therapists, chiropractors, hands-on professionals of all kinds. And they take you into a three-dimensional experience of the human body so that you can help understand it from the inside out. In their state-of-the-art dissection lab in San Diego, California, they will guide you through the layers of a fresh tissue specimen so you can see for yourself what the tissues look like, what they feel like, how they relate to their surroundings, and it's going to amp up your understanding of the body, and they combine it they amp it up with three-dimensional model-making, movement, discussions. And I got to tell you, for somebody who's known for some pretty good slideshows, their slideshows blew me away. I was at a class back in March for their Journey into the Matrix, which was their two-day fascia extravaganza. And I was just blown away by the creativity and the relatability. And I got clear on some concepts that I understood, but I understand a whole lot better now. I can't recommend it highly enough. And if you listen to this podcast, you can use the promo code Friends of David and save 28%. That's $350 US off the cost of your tuition for the Journey into the Matrix workshop, May 3rd and 4th in San Diego, California. Or hey, if you want, you can plan ahead and go to the Rooted Spine in September or Orbiting the Core in the middle of October. But I got to tell you, you're going to improve your knowledge. You're going to improve your touch and take it all up another level. If you check out my friends at Anatomy Scapes, links are in the show notes. Use the promo code Friends of David and save 28% off your workshop tuition. Now, let's get into the highlights from the Fascia Winter School. This took place in late February. I was not able to attend this year, but my friends were kind enough. I was going to say to get up early, but I'm the one who had to get up early because they were on Italy time uh, to talk to them. And this was towards the end of the course. You can hear how amped up and excited they are. So without any further ado, let's talk to Allison Slater and Christopher Hi, everybody. This is David Lasondek. Today on Body Talk, I am thrilled to be talking to two friends of mine who are right now 
in Padova, Italy at the University for the Fascia Winter School. And I'm talking about from Australia, the physiotherapist Allison Slater, and from the U.S., Chris Rodizakis. Chris, Allison, welcome to the show. Thanks, David. Great to have all right, so let's just jump right in. I know your time is limited. You're, it's been a mind-blowing five days over there in Italy. What are what are the things that are like you can't stop thinking about? There's a lot, and we're just trying to organize our thoughts by day. Um, I don't know if you prefer us to kind of go in order like that. That's fine. That's fine. Hey, you prepped. You prepped. Let's go with your prep. Uh, the first day, we talked a lot about retinacular cutis. And it's profound, you know, implications and applications for manual therapists and, you know, exercise physiologists. But, you know, and, it was from an exteroceptive as well as an interoceptive um, perspective and just how important it is. So, um, you know, it's just as a little aside that got Chris and I talking about, uh, you know, things like liposuction and yeah. um, how yeah. destructive something like that could be and the longer term implications rather than just look cute in a pair of jeans, it just really what that, how that's going to affect the body functionally. But um, yeah, that was a, that was a very uh, important one that yeah. we talked about. And um, when we did the search, remember we were talking about how Rebecca Pratt was actually the one who brought it up to us. She's like, you know, when I did a search for the potential imp implications for fibrosis of uh, something like liposuction, she's like, I came up, with not too much. And I think it's what we decided, it was the search engine optimizations of so many of these orthopedic surgeons and plastic surgeons, not orthopedic, plastic <laughs> surgeons. <laughs> Although you never know these days. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they might be dabbling in both. Ways. I hate it when they started making surgeons out of plastic. They've got to be so careful near high temperatures. Mm. But you have to really oh, no. I prefer the old tin ones. <laughs> It was just very interesting how deep you had to dig to find issues of fibrosis and then, you know, you know, even further to kind of find treatment methods for dealing with those impacts. So you'll find so many things that talk about how to treat the uh, incision scars, like the orthoscopic incision scars of, you know, the tools, but nothing to talk about the deep adherent qualities of the tissue subsequent to the surgery which actually they almost show as a uh, benefit because it increases firmness of the tissue. So they'll allude to the stiffness as a positive, not as a negative. And people like that. Oh my God, that is so weird. But I guess that's if you spend your entire life having your photograph taken, so you're standing still, but when you actually need to move, it's something of a disadvantage. <laughs> <laughs> Lift you from one place where you're getting a photo yeah. taken to the next place. As long as you don't have to walk, yeah. I don't, I don't need those apps. You don't need those apps to move. They're not necessary. <laughs> but um, look, the, one of the most beautiful things about this experience has been on a daily basis, we've had some mind-blowing lectures, and I mean mind-blowing. You know, we've got the likes of um, not only Carla Stecco, but we've got Robert Schleif, we've got Rebecca Pratt. Um, we've had... Um, uh, Dr. Um, Pozzinato, and uh, as well as Carmelo Piro, who are all um, associates here at the University of Padua. So we've had some amazing theoretical input. But and don't forget Katerina Feda. Yeah, I was oh, going to say Katerina Feda. Yeah. She's, she's so so 
fantastic in terms of what she's doing. She's been a real inspiration to me. The, the, the thing is, too, that we're, we're watching dissection every day, too. So, um, you know, again, with Antonio Stecco, as well as Carla, um, as well as Rebecca, who literally sort of talking us through some of the things. And I mean, you know, personally, I've done lots of dissection, but to a lot of the, the people who this is a new concept to them, um, you can just see the wonder on their faces. And um, yeah, it's it's been a revelation, really. It's actually, it's actually interesting for us because we're usually so hands-on with dissection to be stepped away from it uh, and look at it from that bird's eye view. It makes us really appreciate when we go back into the lab then together with a scalpel and hemostat it just it's it's a newfound appreciation sure like. and and you know different people have different techniques as well um but ultimately they get the same results so you know for people out there that don't consider that they're fantastic dissectors you know it's just a matter of take your time and know where you are and um you know it's just the best teaching experience in fact i think there's a summer school that carl is doing in colorado in july yeah probably. end of july all right, because I was just thinking how this feels like this is this has replaced the old fascist summer schools that Robert used to do in Germany. Oh yeah, yeah. And to kind of piggyback um, about that sort of dissection kind of conversation, how we discuss we discuss the um, oh my god, the that in the lumbar spine at the level of L four bilaterally, there's a bursa. Yeah, exact. That's exactly yeah. the reaction yeah. I was waiting for because. You know, I mean, I've been a physio for nearly 40 years. I've done lots of dissection, as I said, and um, we we did the afternoon session. There'd been a, a, a morning session, and apparently they found a very enlarged bursa on this fellow's uh, erector spinae on the right-hand side. We was pretty minimal on the left, but, um, you know, it was sizable apparently, and I'm thinking, yeah. I've never heard of a bursa in that area, but yes, they are there. They're just not in any of the textbooks. Yeah, it's not what I got taught in school, and it's fascinating. Yeah, a lot of things we didn't get taught in school. Yeah, and why would it be? Why would it be enlarged on one side and not so oh, much chronic, on the other? Chronic mm -hmm. um, tensioning, um, just something that makes it, makes any bursa reactive um, would be the force that was potentially going through that area. So yeah, it was it was a bit of a mind blower that one. Something I need to be aware of something i need to be aware of as well and i am now thank you now now before i know you kind of have your list there but i just want to jump ahead because this has been one of my pet uh things for a long time in terms of getting really good information but i think uh chris you reached out to me uh, and it was specifically uh, a lecture involving some unpublished stuff on piezoelectricity yes it was really kind of fantastic um mm. i mean it it's just, and I don't know how comfortable he is uh, with us even talking about it, but it is something that is, you know, it further kind of explores, we, you know, Dr. Schlepp was talking about how, um, you know, this is published, so I can talk about that. Um, but the, um, and he already talked about it on this podcast, so sorry to kind of reiterate, but um, we went further into depth with the um, lack of piezo channels in patients with scoliosis and how different uh, interfaces helps sort of not restore or remodel that, but it was fascinating how we went into um, the squeezing technique. So in, in my practice in particular, we use Normatex, uh, those pneumatic compression devices to kind of 
appropriate store, sort of proprioception, and almost instills a, a state of calm in the patient. Uh, so then I can do deeper work in other places, customer deeper margins. And, um, but I hate to skirt that question. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I just we don't do know. have to be a little bit careful because we were um, kind of forbidden. Yeah, we haven't really, um, you know, I just, divulged anything that we shouldn't have done. But I think it's a very much a watch this space. It was expressly, like said mm -hmm. by both, kind of, you know, uh, Carla and this researcher that they didn't want it to be. And the researcher is Dr. Emmy E N E I. Freaking awesome! Yeah, Brilliant! Pretty amazing. Like, well, okay, so can you tell me this? Was it wet or dry? Because most piezoelectricity things are dry, and in the idea of it being in the fascia, it has to be wet. And I think that's what made it profound. Because um, didn't he was describing how uh, upon palpation, then you kind of got the thing to open up. And so again, this is, <laughs> yeah. I don't want to. Okay. Okay. All right. Let's get back to your list. I don't want to, I don't want, I don't want you guys getting kicked out of the fascia school, man. There are so many things that we could talk about, you know, but um, we just wanted to sort of literally narrow it down a little bit. Take homes for me is um, taking into account your patient. Do they have pain? Do they have dysfunction? Do they need fixing? Um, one of the points that was raised was that, you know, you might have people that literally are too stable, where from a physiotherapy point of view, there was a point in time where everyone needed core exercises because that was the latest thing and everyone wanted to stabilise their patients. Well, you know, at the end of the day, some people are too stable already. You know, they've got certain patterning um, that is supporting, say, you know, a, a hypermobility um, picture that they rely on on tension that we might consider as adverse tension, but they rely on that to function. And um, I think it, it really came down to observing the patient, listening to what they've got to say, what's creating pain, but taking a very holistic approach, never, ever just honing in on that point of pain and never just thinking that, okay, regardless, we need to stabilise that, that person. So I think that was, that was a nice one to sort of reiterate. You know, um, as per usual, we've got a really lovely mix of physios, body workers, osteopaths. There's a, there's a whole range of ideas, lots of yoga teachers here. So we've got both the, the manual therapy side of things but we also got the the movement therapy side of things so lots of people jumping in with with good ideas so yeah and their own clinical experience which i love that that sort of discourse that happens after these presentations and lectures uh and this sort of openness and we were talking about this many times uh but of these researchers to get feedback to then further dive deeper into their research or you know create subsequent research i love that 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 environment of curiosity and it's just driving that dialogue so really isn't it yeah yeah that's that's the thing you get in person that you don't get on zoom a hundred percent and you know the 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 thing that i think's really come come home is the fact that you know we're, we're finally we're all here um there are these conversations going on i would have to urge people to actually attend like really think about coming and attending something like this because um Look, we're, we're a small network, we're a small community and, um, you know, to us we're fighting the good fight, we're trying to get the word of fascia out there and 
and being more collaborative, being more um, having that feel of all pushing in the same direction. Um, yes, people are going to have different viewpoints, but I don't think it's helpful to start throwing kind of red herrings in for the sake of personal gain. I'm so happy to hear you say that, Alison, because I'm I'm starting to see more and more of that, and I find it is is it isn't helping. It isn't helping. Yeah, and look, there are divisions that are coming in. Yeah, and and we need to work together because you know when the likes of Carla Stecco is fighting to get airtime with other orthopaedic surgeons to to try and get them to take fascia into account. You know, if that's tough for Carla Stecco, then us as individuals, we're going to have an even steeper climb. So, you know, all joining together, all being part of it. If we get overly obsessed with branding and and trademarking, it just makes us all look bad. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, and, and I think it's it's sort of driven some of the more, if I may say, outlandish claims about fascia. Robert had us all screaming, laughing this morning, talking about, you know, that the slow rate at which myofibroblasts have their effect on the tissue, it's about a centimetre a month. And he was talking about if he's a myofibroblast and, and he's he's fighting, you know, a muscle, yeah. then he's going to get absolutely slammed because he can't react nearly as quickly as the muscle can. So, yeah, he's... <laughs> that level of enthusiastic, you know... You know like, just rob it to a T. <laughs> a presenter on stage who's... Uh, not on stage, it was in the, you know, a classroom, but to be so dynamic and everybody who was here was just had exuded this enthusiasm about research that otherwise could be presented very dry. Yeah. It just... It, captivates the audience well that's awesome. that's robert schleit to a t I've, I've never yeah i've never listened to one of his lectures and not gotten a giggle and that enhances the learning experience as well and to go on that um his last lecture that we just left uh on the behavior we heard this in um montreal on behavior and its impacts on fascia um it reminds me of uh did you ever see temple grandin the hbo documentary so she discovered and she totally revolutionized the cattle industry that if we slaughter cattle when they're not scared, it yields so much like greater quality of meat. Um, not to be gross to our audience, but, you know, the impact. Yeah. No. And for the audience, uh, Temple Grandin was autistic. She I was. Correct. Uh, she, she was she was on that spectrum. And that whole idea of being compressed and feeling like held uh, led a lot into how she designed, shall we say, kinder, gentler abattoirs. And it's such a cool intersection because here at the um, winter school, we we do comparative anatomy. And, you know, some people are like, well, why are you studying animals? You're working with humans. But to see the evolutionary process of tissue, of septa, of, you know, just the layers, it's, it's so key and how they interface with one another because talking about layers doesn't really help when they don't exist, you know, obviously. Unless you've got a scalpel in your hand. Yeah, but it creates a story and it helps us further understand their their interconnectivity. And so I just love that. And uh, that research is really impactful for, again, all of us as clinicians. And, and you know, sort of the difference um, between us and animals in terms of, you know, animals that, do that literally don't have a superficial fascia um and then other ones that have lots and lots of superficial fascia you know you can pick a cat up by 
the, the nape of its neck, you can't pick a horse up like that. Quite apart from the fact yeah. that it's way too heavy. Yeah. But, you know, that from a... The hardest thing I ever remember is actually getting through the skin of a freshly euthanized rat. Because the rats don't, well, at least the bellies don't have a lot of superficial fascia. Okay. It didn't seem Sorry. to me. Actually, Carla had to come and help me. I'll be totally fess up here. What, because you fainted? Go on, be honest with you. <laughs> Humans don't bother me. Things with that are hairy bother me. I don't know why that is. Um, no, it was just so tough. It was so tough to get through those first layers. I didn't want to go like right through into the guts. I was afraid if I put too much pressure on it. Once it was open, oh, fine. Picnic time. Mm -hmm. But that those that initial incision was like really difficult to know how much pressure to use. And we liken that to the palms, the feet in the human, uh, how the, the, you know, superficial vessels of the deep fascia are so adherent to one another. And the innervation of those areas, it's similar to dissecting some of these animals. And it's fascinating yeah. that yeah. toughness is there for a reason. And, you know, the level of acutus in the sort of neurotic areas of our body is just different. And it's so, uh, you know, I find that very exciting. So we had a lab yesterday with um, uh, Dr. Marco Petruno. And um, that's, I'm just trying with the pronunciation there. Yes, and uh, thanks. <laughs> And, um, yeah, so he was fascinating. He's a veterinarian and um, his insights, I mean, just how horses move. I'm Who knew? I'm, I'm not a horse person. I'm a motorcycle person because they don't think I can stop and start on <laughs> one. These are um, not machines. These are brilliant. But, you know, the, the, just to actually see a horse run in slow motion, it really does change the way we think about movement um that it's 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 that comparative anatomy absolutely fascinating you know some people didn't attend which was a real shame because you know they had certain feelings about i spent a summer once working on a horse sanctuary i would love to have seen that presentation absolutely amazing absolutely amazing i had no idea that that's how a horse transferred weight and just this the strain and what we make those animals do from a you know a, a, um, a sort of from a riding on a horse perspective yes you and know and making them making them jump yeah. and and you know run and it's it's nuts absolutely nuts um just what their bodies bodies withstand and the capacity for healthy tissue to force transmit and force disperse it was even more more highlighted in the horse because they have you know there is so oh much more fascia God. so really? even though they don't have the the superficial fascia the fascial expansions in Oof. that tissue wow absolutely really? amazing and that was after an interview with uh, an interview a um a lecture from carla stecco and she was taking us through you know what constitutes rhomboids what constitutes lat dorsi in in uh, a lizard in you know and it, we sort of went up the the Evol evolutionary fascial anatomy unbelievable absolutely unbelievable so looking at things from like jellyfish through to fish and the different compartmentalization and it was all to do with function of course you know because generally speaking fish don't twist and um yeah so you know we had a look at a a shark yesterday, not the size sharks that, as an Australian, I'm kind of used to thinking about. But it was kind of <laughs> Were you <Yeah>. disappointed, Alison? 
You call that a shock? That ain't a shock. <laughs> Absolutely amazing. Animal evolved to go from having you know bilinearity to then you know multi-axial capacity based on it, it just what? Mm, mm. It but was, you know, I, I'll I'll be honest that like everything that I do with this, it, it guides my practice because what I've learned from animals, I can apply to people. To a pretty large extent, and just think about those those sort of fascial expansions because it's so magnified on something like a horse that you know we start to really appreciate. You know, I mean, yesterday Antonio Stecco was underneath glute max, and he just ran his hand underneath there, and he said, "There's the end of glute max, and here is the greater trochanter." And it really does put things into perspective. Just how little of our muscle tissue actually goes from that bone to that bone. Oops. So it might start here, but then it expands into this unbelievable um, network of, of cooperating tissue. And, you know, that it just reinforces it over and over again. Such a, such a valuable experience. We're not 637 or whatever muscles with an origin insertion, but it's like one muscle encased in fascia heat sealed uh or ex vacuum vacuum extruded around 637 different points that kind of 100 percent. a lot of glycosamic and <laughs> yeah yeah a few of those thrown in <laughs> do you want to talk about the in out theory well in terms of uh, applications like evolutionary the evolution, oh, yeah. yeah. So yeah. talking about, you know, was that was um, part of the, um, yeah, part of that sort of evolutionary process, which is why it's again so cool to have that comparative anatomy. Is that our limbs basically extruded from the trunk, and by understanding that, we really then can. It's almost like an embryological standpoint. So it's like Yap Van Wall's lectures from back in the day, but it's interesting to to kind of appreciate then how that sort of. Um, distal aspects of fascia then relate to the trunk it just gives you a little bit more of an uh, appreciation and understanding of those structures um again and, you know carla describing you know erector spiny is stupid muscle because yes. it only does one thing so it only moves in one direction and they're stupid you know yeah, <laughs> and, yeah so allison slater muscle shames the erector spinae for having a low iq today on body talk <laughs> it wasn't me it wasn't me i'm just repeating what i heard it's there. but um the you know and as you become more um superficial then you've got very very complex movement patterns so you've got the ultimately the the capacity to stabilize from the innermost but then the really cool stuff happens more yeah, superficially yeah. Yeah. yeah and and um so, you know, we sort of grow into, Carla described it as, as gloves and, and stockings or socks, that's correct. And so, you know, that would just, just uh, it's just a lovely way of thinking of how how we develop and, and what the different muscle layers represent in terms of our, our functional capacity. And then Antonio's lecture uh, with the, uh, uh, that he used to test uh, 
pre-palpation and then post-palpation, oh. the sort of density. Uh, was this more the, in the T1 row? Oh, T1 row. Yeah, yeah, T1 row. Stuff. So, yeah, yeah, in the elbow. So we had two fantastic presentations about hyaluronin yesterday afternoon. Um, one was Rebecca Pratt, and um, she's such a shy, retiring girl. Oh, I know. She really needs to step up her personality more. And um, But, no, she just blew us away. She was fantastic. Yeah. Um, she's a good dancer, too. Oh, I can't wait. Oh, yeah. oh I'm we'll sure. I'm sure. show you footage of that I later. Party last night. I must have been. <laughs> but then we, we went over into Antonio's work, and some of you will be, um, some of the listeners will be um, familiar with that work that they did around the elbow of taking the, um, the images using T1 Row, so hyaluronin shows up as bright red, um, things that we thought maybe were swelling, therefore inflamed. It's nothing of the sort, but it's more kind of like overuse, um, for example, and uh, talking about the application of um, fascial manipulation and then having a look afterwards to see what the effect had been. And, you know, these are the sorts of studies that need to be being done because they validate the sorts of manual therapy techniques that that we're using. Yeah, and this this was the one where he used one side of the elbow is the experiment, and the other side of the elbow is the control, and there was an increase in water content post application. Correct? Yes, totally correct. One of the most exciting aspects of that in uh, Carla's lecture, where she basically talked about how uh, important it is to think of fascial manipulation or any sort of mechanical stimulation as a precursor to exercise. So you can increase remodeling capacity of the structure. And she joked, she's like, I don't even know why you would try and do it after. Because uh, you influence the way the collagen matrix lays. She joked why, you know, she, w- she would never advise or she's like, I don't even know why you would bother to do uh, manipulation after exercise. Because it's not going to. And it was interesting um, because, again, the impacts of pre-exercise uh, stimulation of tissue increases the yield and this is something that you know we as clinicians have thought for a long time but then to see sort of uh evidence of that especially with antonio's work imagine that elbow prior to doing gymnastics work the profound impacts of force transmission as a result are monumental that makes perfect sense because my perspective has always been that the mechanisms of deterioration are the same as restoration. It depends on the input. So if you change the input and that person goes out and walks, that person goes out and does their workout, that person does whatever, it continues that adaptive process in the direction that they want it to go. Exactly. If you get your treatment and go home and, and sit in front of the TV for the next eight hours, then not so yeah. much. Which how many of our patients do? And that's why I think before we even... Oh, uh, not mine. Oh, good. See, and that's what's amazing to not let them. No, I know. We we talk about that. We talk. I mean, I I can't say they all don't do that, but you know, it's like it's, you got to use it or lose it. You know, we really. That's one of the one of the things in the in the structural integration world is that movement reeducation piece. You know, and getting them on and off the table, not continuously, but often, so that they can feel changes in real time as opposed to getting up after 45 minutes or an hour and and not really having in their head what's different mm, absolutely and we may not be unique in that but you know 30 years ago we kind of yeah it seemed now let's let's pretend we're unique yeah that's so much more fun <laughs> oh isn't that so much better isn't that so much better because we use a lime and you guys use lemons and limes are so much better yes. come on <laughs> yeah. check my insta but 
I've, I've got to say um, we might have to wrap this up a little bit, but um, yeah. The, yeah, no, that's fine. I know you're on limited time. I appreciate any time you can give me. through quite, you know, over and over again is, um, you know, I don't know about about any of anyone who's listening, but I've been at conferences in the past and I thought, well, wow, that's really fascinating research, but what's the clinical applicability of that? And um, yes, it, it, it can seem very um, destructive, very dissociative, um, whereas now I think there's a real, you know, when driven by people like Carla Stecco, by Robert Schleip, and um, the people that they've certainly, you know, influenced is that all of this seems to have, you know, a lot of application to not only the clinical world but the efficacy of, of what we're doing instead of just hoping it works. So, you know, it's... it's um, that's been reinforced quite a few times. And the breakout sessions are, you know, the one we just left was palpatory sort of landmarks. And just making sure, because not everybody here is a clinician. Some of them are movement all therapists, over. Yeah. So, and, then, you know, the great thing was we had Carmelo Perry there with his ultrasound. So we had to mark the spots on the yeah. you know upper and lower limb and he would verify how accurate that was. So... That was that was it pretty was like cool, actually. Really the game operation. I don't know if the audience had that, but uh, <laughs> like a very fun adult version of that. No buzzing. Oh, okay. Enough. <laughs> Are you going to turn this into a drinking game? Yeah, I, I, started, I think I've seen this guy party. <laughs> let's just not go there. <laughs> <laughs> Can we edit that? <laughs> Seriously, I'll, I'll say it again. If you ever get an uh, the chance and have the inclination to come and do a school like this you know i've i've come all the way from australia i've got to get on the train and go back to milan tonight and then go back to australia tomorrow and be back at work on monday um seriously it's time very 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 well spent you know if you if you thought you knew stuff about fascia come and do this sort of thing and you'll know much much more absolutely it's mind altering and it will change your practice no matter whether you're a clinician or just you know a been therapist or yeah. whatever it really is profound and if you want to do hands-on dissection that should be the delineation colorado is hands-on whereas montreal is going to be a little bit more of that removed aspect yeah. but both have some mm -hmm. oh when's when's the one in montreal uh montreal is going to be also summer i don't have the exact dates i want to say it's also july um so that would make sense wouldn't it yeah so yeah. that way you know it can be easier for uh, i think both antonio and carla are going to do both but again, it's if you're a tactile learner, I would recommend Colorado. If you really uh, would learn better, sort of remove from the process, yeah. then do Montreal. But both are going to involve lecture, and we're not like selling these things. We have no, yeah. <laughs> we're not being uh, paid by. The no, no, no. It's okay. There'll, there'll be links in the show notes, and you'll get your check in the mail. Fantastic. You know, I'll, I'll be honest. Um, this has been my first opportunity to come to Europe. You know, since before COVID, and. Um, what, what a place to land in. You know, Padua is magical. Um, you know, now I'm going to sound like a travel agent. Yeah, but, um, oh, but Carnivali was on on Sunday. And, you know, just to kind of walk in here on, on Saturday and then, oh, Carnivali's on. Awesome. But, you know, it's um, we're, in, we're in the old town. 
um, you know, this this university, for those who don't know, was founded in 1222. So it's celebrated its 800-year anniversary last year. And um, from a female's point of view, this was the university where the first female on the planet graduated. Um, she graduated in philosophy. Um, her, her name was um, Elena. Um, Elena. Um, oh, gosh. I wish I could give you a. Oh. Uh, we should have written that one down. Yeah, we should have written that one down. But, but an amazing, amazing, amazing woman. And um, I actually, I actually bought a cup the other day, and it says on it, it's got a little sort of caricature of her, and it says, um, "I graduated before all of my girlfriends." <laughs> no, really, I graduated before all of my girlfriends, and I just thought that was superb. But um, yeah. I, I, um, I'll supply the name for you, David, so you can edit that in because my Italian isn't fantastic and my recall is even worse. Um, but, yeah, very, very inspiring. In the square, in a very sort of um, patriarchal society, she's the only one, I think. 100%. So, you know, the, the Coronaro, Coronaro, um, Coronaro Pisconi, um, and her statue is at the bottom of the Coronaro staircase. And in the Palazzo Bo, which is the, the seat of um, the seat of the, the this ancient university, and um, when she graduated, they usually held the graduations in quite small rooms. The problem was twenty thousand people wanted to attend, so they had to hold it in one of, one of the um, piazzas. Twenty thousand people turned up to her graduation. Now, if that's not building what it is. <laughs> wow. And you said she was a philosophy major, which which just reminds me of something you said earlier and um about what's going on in the fashion world right now. Maybe we can wrap up on this point. But you know, I keep thinking back to the history of quantum physics, which all happened in a 20-year period. There was this huge revolution in physics that just happened over two decades. And that's when all the heavy work and the mathematics and the heavy lifting was done. And then there were all these interpretations of what does it mean? But the math works. And I think you can say that about the fascial world. It's like we can argue amongst ourselves philosophically about what it means and this and potential implications. But the, the message to the public has to be this works. And it's not rocket science and it's not voodoo. 100%. I, really think I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. And when you see the level of research that's been done and what's happening now, the, the studies that are being currently, like we were talking about prior to the unpublished study, like there's so much happening now that it's, it, it, it's you know, the, the trajectory, trajectory is, is insane. tremendous, you know, so. Stay tuned. Yes. Watch this space. Well, not next space. Perfect. If there are Australian listeners, both Robert and Carla will be coming to Melbourne for the um, low back and pelvic pain congress in November and uh, they will both be in attendance so we're going to see if we can get them some more gigs to to sort of spread their word a little bit further but uh, this has been fun thank you if that sounded like something you didn't want to miss out on I feel you and I'm sad to tell you that the fascial dissection in Colorado Springs that Christopher mentioned happening in July. It's already sold out. There's just a wait list happening. And the deadline to submit an application to the one in Montreal uh, has a deadline of this Wednesday, 
the 26th of April. So not a lot of time left. But the good news is that you can watch a rebroadcast from the 8th of May till the 12th of May of the Fascia Winter School online. And once it gets rolling, you actually can access the videos anytime between then and the 10th of June for the cost of 250 euro. Now there will be a link of where to go to sign up for this. There will be a certificate of attendance that you'll get for doing it. And you've got basically just a little over a month to avail yourself of the latest knowledge. I know I'm excited to do this. And when you apply, by the way, you only have till the 29th of April. So this coming Saturday, there's a field at the bottom of the form that just says notes. If you put a note in there that you heard about this on the Body Talk podcast, that would be fantastic. And if none of these work out for you, remember to check out the good folks at Anatomy Scapes and save 28% off of their dissection workshops with the promo code Friends of David. I'm hoping to get back out there myself for either the September or the October class. It's that good. I want more. This is David Lasondak signing off for another episode of Body Talk. Remember, find me on social media. Send me an email at bodytalkdavid at gmail.com. You can find us at patreon.com backslash bodytalkradio if you'd like to become a contributing member of the show and get some swag. And please give us five stars on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. It really makes a big difference. And thank you for your attention. Everything wants your attention these days. And I promise you, if you give me your attention, I will always make it worth your time. This is David Lasondak signing off for Body Talk. See you next week. Thank you.